are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. But this, by this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciple. The words of Jesus, again from the Gospel of John. Moving forward into Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Continuing with verses 13 through 26. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love. Serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. But I say, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of Spirit, fruit of the Spirit. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. For if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And then finally, this last nice chunk of Scripture is out of Colossians 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, where you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. To these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. 
bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Our life, our path to new aliveness comes not through our own selves, but through the transformational work of God. And our job, first and foremost, is to abide with God. Our second passage says, then, if we're abiding with God, this Galatian passage says, if we're abiding with God, then we are indeed set free. And therefore, we do not walk according to the flesh. And flesh there is not this earthly body, but it's the desires and it is the inclinations that the system of this world has for us, which are contrary to the kingdom of heaven. But it says instead, we live in the spirit, we keep with the spirit. And as such, we exhibit the fruit of the spirit when we abide in the vine. We bear the fruit of the Spirit. And then finally in this Colossians passage, it speaks that once we have become connected with God and abide in that vine, once we're producing fruit, then we are to live as such with one another. This is not just an individual life, but it's one of corporate community. And so we have compassionate hearts. We bear with one another. We forgive one another. We come together and admonish and encourage one another. We sing of God's love and grace as we've been doing this morning with one another. Because all is in Christ and Christ is in all. Allow me to pray here. Holy God, in this precious hour... We pause as we gather to hear your word. To do so, we break from our work responsibilities and from our play fantasies. And we move from our fears that overwhelm and from our ambitions that are too strong. Free us in these moments from every distraction that we may focus to listen, that we may hear, that we may change. Today we continue our journey through the McLaren lectionary. We make the road by walking with chapter 41, moving with the Spirit. In this chapter, McLaren says that once you are living in the Spirit, the following 
happens. He says the wind can be blowing, but if your cell isn't raised, you won't go far. You can be surrounded by oxygen, but if you don't breathe, it won't do you any good. The sap can be flowing, but if a branch is not connected to the vine, it will wither. If you don't have kindling and wood in your hearth, a lit match won't burn long. It's the same with the Spirit. We are surrounded with the aliveness of the Spirit All that remains then is for us to learn how to let the Spirit fill and flow and glow within us. McLaren says we start in the heart, which he describes as the wellspring of our desires. You see, this is where our problems begin and it's where our healing begins too. When we desire to be filled with the Spirit, the Spirit begins to transform our desires so that God's desires become our own. Instead of doing the right thing because we have to, as Jody was mentioning earlier, we do the right thing because we want to. Because we're learning to truly desire goodness. And once our desires are being changed, a revolution is set in place. The New Testament gives us a simple image for how desire translates into action. And that image is walking. When we're newborn, we couldn't even roll over, much less crawl, much less walk and run. And eventually, though, a desire for movement stirred within us. And we gradually and clumsily translated that desire into action. First rolling over, then crawling, then standing and toddling, and eventually walking. And then, if you're Roby, running So very fast. (laughs) Step by step with lots of movement. And so now with hardly a thought, we walk, we run. Roby does. I don't that often. We jump. Again, gravity has a way of wrecking itself upon me. But we dance. We shimmy in the spirit. This image of walking is everywhere in the scriptures. Walk in the spirit, we are told. Walk in the light. Walk in love. Walk in newness of life. Walk by faith. Walk in good works. Walk in truth. To be a disciple is to follow a mentor, which means walking in that mentor's footsteps. The image is so very simple. One step at a time, drawn by desire, leaning forward, doing the next Right thing, keeping our focus on our goal, leaving the past behind. If you stumble, regain your balance and keep walking. If you fall, get up and keep walking. If you're distracted or wander off the path, reorient yourselves toward your goal and keep walking. Jesus used another vivid image to convey the same reality. We mentioned it earlier when we read John 15, a branch abiding in the vine. Paul employed a lot of similar images. Stir up the fire in you, he said to Timothy. Just as fires need to be tended, our inner life needs to be tended too. In his letters to Colossians, he used the image of welcoming a guest, making room in our hearts so the Spirit of Christ can dwell in us richly. In Ephesians, he said, drinking wine, drinking your fill of alcoholic spirits can change your behavior for the worse, but being filled with the Holy Spirit will change your behavior for the better. So on and so forth. And as we walk, we learn to 
build a habit of yielding ourselves to the Holy Spirit by morning and morning, by checking in with the Spirit hour by hour throughout the day. And then McLaren says, as we walk, we encounter all types of terrain. And every new piece of terrain requires that a new gate, a new tool, a new discipline is implemented so that we can master that terrain. And he also says that, again, we walk this journey not alone but together. Around the table, around campfires, we share stories of our journey. We share mistakes we've made and falls we've taken and lessons we learned. We share ways in which we've experienced the Spirit moving in us and amongst us and through us. And through this sharing, we encourage one another and we get back on the road. Stories like Jody's story this morning are encouraging. The transformation still takes place in our community, in one another. McLaren sounds a warning and says that sadly, lots of people get distracted and lose their way. And instead of continuing to walk in the spirit, they decide to uh, slow down and look back proudly on how far they've come. They've become highly impressed on all that they've learned, theological concepts and biblical lore and religious history and so on. And pretty soon they come to a complete standstill and brag amongst themselves, comparing themselves to others who haven't walked as far or fast or cleverly as they have. They form little encampments, sitting around day after day, quarreling about this fine point of walking theory. And pretty soon they're so out of shape, they give up walking altogether and specialize in talking about the way others walk. And then McLaren gives us this uh, admonition. That's their choice. But for you and me, let's continue walking this path. Let's keep moving forward. Which means we're going to have falls and we're going to have stumbles and we're going to get distracted and walk off the path. But you and I, us, Grovers, Groovers, Grovians, I don't know, Groovies, let's keep walking. It's a beautiful place to walk this new path to aliveness that Jesus speaks of. What I want to do with the remainder of our time, do you believe in miracles? Good, Meredith, because I have about 27 pages of notes here. And I'm going to get us out pretty quick, though. What I want to do is I want to share with you just a, a large concept, a road map, of how we can make this walk. I'm sure we're going to talk more about this in finer detail later on, but I just want to give you a map, a path, a system um, that's been incredibly helpful to me in my journey with God. Now, let me just say this. I'm weird. If you know me, you know that. So feel free to take this and just make this a food for thought or feel free to say, Matt's weird and I'm not that weird. And I'm not going to do that. But what I want to do is I just want to put this before you today. And I want to challenge you to, to give it some thought. There might be something in here that you can glean or that will awaken a little piece of you. And we can talk more about it. Uh, I've been a university professor 
for a lot of my life, and so I make handouts. That's one of the things I do, and I try to refrain from doing that to you, but you have some around you. And so I want to talk about this. You'll see an image, Don, if you can put this up here. This is from a guy named John Mabry. He's written a book called Growing Into God. Uh, It's he and Brian McLaren that I take this piece from. But what we need to understand is this system here, this map, this path, this way is, um, is ancient. It's hundreds, thousands of years old. So I want to make sure that we realize that this is not new age. This is not something that has been invented in the last couple of years but that this is uh, the orthodox main path of the church for hundreds and hundreds of years. If you flip to the back of your handout, you'll see some things here. Read with me. Jesus was concerned with only one thing, intimacy with God, and was adamant that this intimacy was the birthright of every human being, regardless of your religion or beliefs or your alleged moral state. Jesus is over and over again saying, the Father is with us. God is with us. When you're at the end of the rope, when you're sick, when you're poor, when you come from a bad place, when you've done bad things, when you're short and you're up a tree watching me walk down, when you're a woman caught in adultery, guess what? God is on your side. Jesus is like, uh, said that God is like the father in the story of the prodigal son. God is here for you now with his arms open to embrace you if you'll only return the embrace. And so what this task is, and there's a word here that we need to just touch on right now, and that's the word mystical or mysticism. And you may have heard that phrase as something being new age, but it's actually very, very ancient. And mysticism is just this. Mysticism is the pursuit of or enjoyment of enjoyment with union with God. The way I would put it is that mysticism is radical openness to God in the here and now. Now that can be loud, that can be quiet. I'm Pentecostal, so that means a lot of loudness. If you're Roman Catholic or you're Anglican or Episcopalian or even Methodist and you employ and view yourself as a mystic, then you're probably pretty quiet with it. But the point is, is this radical openness that God's not done with the world. That God can show up in the here and now in large ways and in small ways. Julian of Norwich put it this way. And thus I saw God and sought God. I had God, and at the same time I wanted God. And this is and should be what we are all working towards. You see, when we look back today, back before the 20th century, back before the Protestant Catholic missionary areas, back before the Reformation, back before the Great Schism of 1053, we'll find that we became the Western Church and what became the Eastern Church shared a common ancient treasure, a description of the Christian life as a life on the way, a life of movement, a walking, if you will. 
And this threefold way can be described as stages, but to do so would be misleading because one doesn't complete one stage and move to the next. It would be more accurate to describe the threefold way as three dimensions or emphasis or zones of the spiritual life. One learns these dimensions or emphasis or zones in a given order, and each new dimension presupposes the continuation of what's come before. We transcend and include. We transcend and include. We continue to grow, but we also understand, appreciate where we've come from. Here are the stages, as Brian McLaren talks about it, and these are the Latin phrases. The via purgativa or catharsis. These are, uh, the first one is going to be the Western understanding, and the second word or description there would be the Eastern Orthodox standing. So purgativa or catharsis. Purgativa being what we've seen, purgative or catharsis. In this, the first is the dimension of self-examination in which we discover the prevalence and power and intensity of the evil that already lies within us like viruses in a software. This self-examination, this phase, leads us to seek to be purified, purged, debugged, liberated, and transformed. We come into contact with God. If we look at this chart, and we're looking from zero up, the first of these words we have, or stages, or emphasis, or zones, is that of an awakening. Now, really quick, an awakening is not something you do. An awakening is when you get a flash of the true reality that God is in this world and involved with you. Oftentimes, we would call this a moment of crisis, or we would have our coming to, or our salvation moment, or we would have a healing, or we would have some kind of miraculous peace, whether it's walking on water or flying in the air, which I haven't seen, or, right, it could be something as strong as walking out into one of these trails at Deep Creek, and all of a sudden it feels as though God and you are alone. It could be you being pricked by the kind action of a friend, or it could be you realizing with deep travail that all is not right in your world. But these are moments where God does the work and shows up in our lives in extraordinary ways in the ordinary. And it's those moments that change us, that move us, that shape us. Sometimes we have these moments and we're done with them and we're like... Glad that was over because that was disturbing and destabilizing. (laughs) But then there are other times when life can never go back to the way it was. Because we see the world for what it truly is. And we've gotten a little taste of God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And we become thirsty and hungry for more. So these awakenings happen to us. They're passive. God does it to us. It's an inbreaking of the kingdom of heaven into this world. And many of you have had experiences like that. So this is when God shows up. And that leads us into purgation or catharsis. And what this means is that now that we've seen this real world and we've seen ourselves in light of it, there's this point where we realize that we've got to do something to gain God. 
Now, this is not what Jody was saying in that we're writing off a task list. But this is what McLaren is saying is that the Spirit's alive, but I've got to put up some sails or I'm not going to go anywhere. There's a fire, but I've got to provide some kindling or I've got to provide some some firewood so that that can burn longer. In other words, God's Spirit is moving with us. There is a spout where the glory pours out. But we've got to find a way to put ourselves in the place of receptivity so that we can receive God's grace. Many of you have heard this before, uh, but one of the nicest ways that anyone has ever referred to me as being fat is this little person was describing me as someone who said, you know, the buoyant chap. And I've always been good at floating. (laughs) When I think of grace, when I think of this movement between active and passive, uh, God working on us and yet us doing it but not making it our own is this idea of floating. I'm not sinking. I'm holding myself in a certain way. But I'm also not swimming. I'm being. I think this is a good description of what it means when we say abide in the vine. And so we've got to find ways in this purgation to put ourselves in avenues, to put ourselves in the position to fully receive God's love and grace and inbreaking in our lives. The first of these is detachment. What we have to do with detachment is we have to let go of our view of God. We have to let go of a wrathful God or an angry God or a God who wants to slap us on the head or a God who demands that we do checklists. We've got to let go of this fear-based faith and instead understand that God is moving in us, with us, and through us and wants and delights in us living in that spirit and that path to new aliveness. And so detachment is this idea of letting go of the need to control, to think that the salvation that we have is in our own works. And so it's ridding ourselves of stuff. It's also detachment from sin. It's letting go of pieces that break us, that lead us to believe in the illusion that God is not present in the here and now. I used to have kids in my ministry a lot at the university who, who just were addicted to porn so much. And one of the weirdest therapies that I came across as I'm praying, what do I do to help these young guys who started looking at porn when they were 10, before they even knew what it was? And it's just, it's consumed their lives. The first thing that God dropped into my heart, or maybe it was the pizza the night before, but I'm going to think it's God, was let them know that I love them and am with them even in those moments. So, you know, when you live with five guys in a dormitory, and this isn't just guys, this is ladies too, but when you live in this situation, you don't typically just watch your porn in front of everybody. It's a secret kind of thing. It's a shameful thing for a lot of people. And so there's this hiddenness to it. And so there's this idea in our sin that God's not there. But the truth of the matter is this. God's here. God's with us. There's nothing we can do to drive God away from us. God loves us. We're no longer in the Old Testament where God's in an ark. 
We're in the New Testament where God dwells within us. And we don't drive God away. We grieve the Spirit within us, but the Spirit does not abandon us. So at this point, I, I called it the empty chair. I just said, the next time you want to go look at porn, I said, you find yourself doing that? I said, don't, don't stop. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to pull up an empty chair. I want you to look at the chair. And I want that chair to symbolize that that's Jesus. And I want you to say to Jesus, Jesus, I know you love me. And you know I love you. But look what I'm doing to myself. And understand that even in the midst of the most shameful things you're doing, God is there and loves you. That sounds like a crazy thing to do. But the first thing we have to do is detach ourselves from the idea that God's not with us and that God doesn't love us. The second thing with purgation is mortification. And that is, after we've realized that, now we've got to stop. (laughs) These hurtful things that are keeping grace from feeling us and our vessels. We've got to get to a point to where we're mortifying the flesh, where we're doing practices, whether it's fasting or it's uh, service or whatever, to replace bad habits with good habits. Not because it's earning us any more love or favor with God. We've already talked about that. But so that we can realize and feel God's love in a more profound and intimate way. I'm moving through these real quick. You'll see these black strips across um, this sheet. So if we have these three phases, purgation and illumination and union, which is the threefold path of the church, there's these dark night of the senses that St. John of the Cross, a medieval Carmelite mystic, spoke of where he says these are transitional phrases, uh, phases and phrases, um, where God does some really wild card kind of stuff in us. And it's this, he says, in the dark night of the soul, there's first the dark night of the senses and the dark night of the spirit. And what happens in the dark night of the senses is simply this. We quit God. (laughs) What? (laughs) What I mean by this is we rid ourselves of false views of God that have been handed to us. And we start realizing more and more and putting into practice that we cannot earn favor with God. That it is a gift freely given. And so the dark night of the senses is a time when you're voiding yourself, when you're, when you're detaching and mortifying these pieces of what you used to view of God. It comes to this point where the things that you used to gain a lot of excitement and joy, they kind of deaden. What happens is maybe it's just prayer or maybe it's just coming to church or maybe it's just not going to church and being in the mountains. Whatever it is, what used to bring us zeal and comfort and joy isn't doing the same thing for us. I I mean, I'd ask you to raise your hand, but it'd be embarrassing how many of you would raise your hands or free. It's how many of you have gotten to a place in your maturity with God where you're like the last place I want to be. Is in church. I hear that a lot. Leadership of the church hears that a lot. Well, I don't need organized religion anymore. I just want to be out in the cathedral of God. Well, let me just say something real quick to you. It's not an either or. It's a both and. Go out into the woods. Worship God. The difference is you may not need the organized church. But guess what? The organized church needs you. 
If you're tired and you need to take a week off or a little while off, come talk to us and do that. But the point is not that you're earning favor by being here. The point is that we need each of us to be the hands and feet of God to one another so that this place is the closest thing to the kingdom we've got, the kingdom of God we've got. So maybe the church has hurt you. Maybe it's broken you. Maybe it's wounded you. I know I'm the church and I've hurt and broken and wounded people, including myself. And I know there are times where I felt very distant from God, especially in a worship service. Maybe as I'm preaching a message. And I'm like looking out and going, do I even believe this? That's not today, I believe this. But the truth of the matter is, for us to be the kingdom of God to one another, we have to be here to love one another. Anyway. So then we move from the dark night of the senses into this place of illumination, which is where the mystics really spill the most ink. They're trying to describe this in all kinds of ways. And basically they're saying this is now that we've kind of opened up the windows and cleaned out the house of all the dust and the filth and the critters and whatever it's left. And we open the door, it's spring cleaning time and the breeze comes through and the sun illuminates. This is the sweet spot. This is the part where you've been courting for a little while and now all you need is just to gaze into your loved one's eyes. This is where you and Jesus, you and God are romancing one another. And it's beautiful. The first of these is called the illuminated world. This is where you realize God's in everything. That there's nothing that God's not in. In our trials, in our sufferings, in our joys, and in our celebrations. God is with us wanting to redeem and heal and fill us so that we can flow and grow and glow with the vibrancy of God's Spirit. But for us to really understand and to see God in all things, we have to practice quiet and deprivation. Which basically means is we need to craft out Times in our busy schedules where we can just look. Nicole and I have not been doing really well with this lately. Nicole, I pledge to do better starting today. She's a drama teacher, which means every spring during the month before production, I'm a drama widower, right? Our normal rhythms go out the window. They're 12 and 14 hour days for her. And she's putting on all this. And she's beautiful at what she does. And she's talented. But we have this thing that we've done over the years, which is called first and ten, coach. And first and ten is that when she gets home from work, I get home from work, we stop everything. First of all, we have to pet the dogs because they won't leave us alone until we acknowledge their existence. But after that, first and ten is we just look at each other in the eyes. And we listen to each other's day. I call it first and ten because if you go without first and ten, you get penalized. And then it's first and fifteen or first and thirty. So you might as well get the first and ten in right away. And what I've realized is this. When I dated Nicole, the nourishment I needed wasn't what I'm eating these days. It was just those brown eyes. You you, You remember that? When you were in like the grips of love and you didn't need to do anything. Well, this is before cell phones. So that's, I don't even know how that would work right now. But, but young people, (laughs) 
You just looked at each other and you just were with each other. This is what the illuminated world is. It's God's in all things and we have to have quiet and deprivation. But then the second piece of this illumination is even better because it's not God is in all things. It's that all things are in God. The mystics talk about God as being the, the atmosphere that we walk in, the water in which we swim in, that all places we go, God is surrounding us as the very ecosystem from which life and growth comes and revolves and is sustained. There is no separation of us versus them anymore. Instead, there's only us in God. It's a beautiful transformative sense. And here we're talking about acquisition. This is because we have done deprivation, because we've been quiet and noticed God. Now we notice not only God in all things, but we see all things as God. And I'm not talking about pantheism here. There is a definite separation between creation and creator. That's not what I'm getting at. I'm not that heresy. What I'm talking about, however, is that God is larger and smaller than we could ever imagine. God is all in all and all is in God. So then we have the dark night of the spirit. And that's even the worst because the dark night of the senses is tough because we quit God and the images of God that we've held to or been handed on to so that we can find new freedom and release. Oh, the dark night of the spirit is when God quits us. Hear clearly what I'm about to say. Don't get this twisted. When I say God quits us, what I mean is we're only able to rid ourselves so much of our understanding, of our metaphors, of our images of God. But if we're willing and our desire is to be one with God and to grow into God, at some point God has to take us the next step. And God withdraws, not God's presence, but the good feelings associated with presence. Because this is the final straw where we realize this is not about us earning our favor, our way into relationship with God. This is a covenant that God is our God and we are God's people. I had the opportunity. It was both a tragic and tough time and it was a wonderful time to take a group of college kids to Mother Teresa's uh, House of the Dying. And we spent two weeks there, three weeks in India, but two weeks there with the people basically who were left to die. And it was a horrible and incredible experience all at the same time. The last thing we would do every day is there was a little boy who was about 11 years old and he had burnt himself with drugs. He had used some drugs that had inflamed his body. And 75% of his body was third-degree burns. And so they, would, they took him in. His family abandoned him. Nobody had taken him. His brain was addled by the drugs. He was so beautiful in the face. But every night for about two weeks after they'd do the surgery, they'd find on the concrete pathway a trail of blood leading to him where he had, because of his mental illness, torn out the grafts. So here we are, me and some college students, and the last thing we do before we leave every day is we take cloth and we tie this boy to the cot so that he can't get up and tear the grass out with him saying, please, please, please don't. 
So we're there, and it's in this context that I've got these really excited Pentecostal kids who think we're going to go change the world in India, and instead they're getting changed in a harsh manner. (laughs) Because God is so there, and it is so painful. We sit there, and we're looking at Mother Teresa's place, and we're seeing what the simplicity lived. And her journal had just come out where she had said, once she had taken the call to Calcutta, and she had begun serving in that way, that in the period of that time to the, her death, which was probably 40, 50 years, other than a 10-day period, she never felt the presence of God. That was hard for some Pentecostals to hear. We're presence junkies. But the point of mysticism is that relationship goes beyond what I can feel or get from you. I serve you, God, not because what you do for me, but because you're my God and you're worthy of my service. And the most profound way that I can be me is to serve and love you. It's this covenant idea that even when we don't feel God, we're faithful to God because God is faithful to us. And that leads us to this last place of union sometimes called deification or theosis, sometimes called sacred marriage, but it's this place where the covenant's been made. I'm pledged to you. This bond and this relationship is deeper than any surface emotion or feelings that we could ever have. I'm all in. Because you're all in. Before we ever loved God, God loved us. And so that's the point. Now, I don't know where you're at on this stage. And again, these are faces that go back and forth and move around. But if you're like me, the goal is to get to a point where my life is not a roller coaster of my obedience or my disobedience because of how I feel. Or because of what is going on in my life. Or what I think God's doing for me and not doing for me. God's not the God in the sky. God is the God here. Who decided to make his holy presence and abode in this jar of clay. The cracks are where the light gets out. When we move with the Spirit. This is not an up and down thing. The point is to get to a place. I'm yours, you're mine. And so this is where we're at. I'm going to ask you guys to come up. We're all going to, yeah, we're going to play one. This is what I want you to think about. I want you to look at this chart. You've got the handouts in front of you, hopefully. Kind of think about where you're at, where you've been. Does this help? Does this warn you? Does this warm you? Does this challenge you to go to a different place? Do you find that you're getting stuck somewhere and you're not able to go any forward? Maybe your prayer needs to be for some awakening. God, I can't believe you any more than I can believe you right now. Please show yourself to me in a way that disturbs me, that challenges me, that wounds me and heals me all at the same time so that I can't be the same. Are you in purgation, illumination, union? What are you practicing? Are you being quiet? 
and reflecting, recollecting on your day? Are you, are you, are you giving space to see and recognize that God is in all and all is in God? And are you at a place, do you want to be at a place where it means, regardless of what my emotions are, my feelings are, I'm yours. I'm all in. You guys go ahead.